0: Episode. and welcome to episode party a podcast where we talk about our favorite podcasts i'm freddie harrison and as ever i am joined by my co-host jack tutor and this episode we have special guests Raphael rosendahl and jeremy bailey of the excellent good point podcast um hey guys how are you both doing hi hello i'm great how are you (laughs) doing good well good good I'm glad you're both well and, uh, and we're able to find time in busy or not busy schedules, as the case may be, <laughs> to, uh, to chat to us. So this is, this is awesome. Um, Jack, you're kicking us off with uh, the podcast that we seem to make the most subtle digs at in, in previous episodes. If we were to keep a tally of the times where we've made a jibe at another podcast, I think this one comes out on top. But uh, yeah, I feel, yeah, I feel like we ought to try and redeem ourselves with it.
1: It's also one of the world's most popular ones, right? This is the yeah, thing. exactly.
0: Yeah, it's more a dig, I think, at
2: me when I have a go at it. Because I think, I don't know, it, there's there's always like this air of embarrassment when I bring up this podcast. And I, I don't know why. There's something to address there <laughs> within myself. But basically, it's the Tim Ferriss show. Um, Tim Ferriss being an author, an entrepreneur, who's super into productivity and self-optimization he wrote a book called the four hour work week which was basically like a how-to guide on liberating yourself from the you know the workaholic world and um using automation and outsourcing basically to escape that lifestyle i can't remember how i discovered it but basically i think it coincided with a mission to get myself more organized because freddie will attest to the fact that i'm Pretty muddled most of the time. I'm not very self disciplined. I was getting a bit tired of it, and I'm sure there are other people that were as well. So it felt like that this podcast caught me at the right time. It's a lot of people talking about the fact that they've got their shit together and have done to the extent that they've got, you know, really successful companies or they're doing something uh, very successfully. I am actually, I I feel like it's slightly more organized than when I started listening to it. So it, it has helped me a lot. And the episode that I picked is with a chap called Derek Sivers, who founded CD Baby. Um, He was also a professional musician and circus compare, as it turns out. And he basically has this two hour conversation with Tim uh, running through his life, like has a load of life lessons that he's picked up along the way and um some of whoa, them whoa,
3: whoa, wait a second two hours did you just say <laughs> yeah that's half of a four-hour work week according to tim <laughs> hours four-hour
2: <work> week. <laughs> this is true <laughs> this is the one thing where he seems to just go completely lax with his timekeeping maybe but um yeah okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's i find it you know i find it interesting like derek is clearly a very captivating storyteller um some of the stories seem to contradict I,
1: themselves i a disagree bit.
2: Go for it. Tell you what. Go
1: for he, it. He, he was so off putting. He's not a compelling score. I just couldn't get through it. I really, it was so cringy. What was he it has really? this voice He has this voice that he sounds like a children's book author. Yes. And then there was A Wonderful World of Clowns, and I entered it. And it was so cringy. <laughs> yeah. I just couldn't listen to it. But do
2: you, do you think that was... And then
1: <laughs> I, I, I've cringed so much. Like, it, I love the... So there's, you guys recommended two podcasts, and I love the other one. But this one... I, I like the Tim Ferriss podcast if the guest is interesting, which is maybe one out of five. But this guy is the most uninteresting person. It, it, the basic premise that he was saying, give the audience what they want. They think is so wrong. Why would you give the audience what they want? It's the worst <laughs> idea ever. It's like, it, it, like designed by democracy or by committee, what do you call well, that's it? that's because like,
3: you're, you're European, Raphael, so there's no customer yeah, service in Europe. Exactly. <laughs> right. But it's like, <laughs>
1: but, oh, but yeah. But in America, the, that makes sense. The, the, yeah. It, it, it's like everything that's wrong with the world was in that guy. Really,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Look, I can see exactly where you're coming from. I think because I do work in like a customer service Capacity in my uh, more corporate role. Maybe that's something that perhaps that I can chime with and take a bit out of. I do completely understand where you're coming from. I, I also appreciate the fact that as an artist, I think surely that's the last thing that you could ever align yourself with is, you know, just... Buckle down and give everyone what, what you know, yeah. exactly what they need. And do you know what? Yeah, it,
1: like do market research and then decide what your
2: artistry is. Yeah. The thing, the thing I think is, and to be honest, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I do find the podcast infuriating a lot of the time. And I do find that it has a smug attitude. The reason I wanted to <laughs> yeah. put it forward to you guys, I think, is the fact that there is a contradiction that exists in it for me, where I come away from it feeling mildly bugged by it by the tone of the whole podcast it's a lot of like audio high fives and a lot of like yeah we did it and all you've got to do is this and you know a lot of distillation which perhaps feels a bit in- disingenuous but I think there's something in there that it just makes me think okay I've got to get my shit together because there is a confidence in there that I'm like I need a bit of that
1: I think uh, there's a lot to learn from experts, so there's nothing wrong to listening to experts. I just think this guest specifically was a annoying and uninteresting person. <laughs> but there's another episode where he interviews Rick Rubin, uh, the music yeah, producer, yeah. who's in a, an amazing, amazing figure who uh, produced I don't know 400 really good albums. is like a is like a superhero. So then it's very captivating, and I think Tim Ferriss is a good interviewer. He's in the background. He's not trying to. Uh, take the attention and he basically it's really nice to have a two three hour interview with an interesting person it just happens to be this episode but I think Tim Ferriss is a good interviewer
2: yeah uh, what, what do you think Freds? because I know you've been listening to it for a little while as well
0: <sighs> yeah um <sighs> I, th- I think, I think it's an interesting one because I think, you know, it, it, it does very much depend on the guest. And yeah, like, you know, if you're going to make that commitment of two hours, you know, if you're going to make 50% of your work week listening to, um, a Tim Ferriss <laughs> podcast, then, uh, you, you, it's got to be the right person at the other end of, of, of that interview, hasn't it? And I think, uh, the thing about Derek Sivers is, is that he is, he's kind of like, a, a, the, he makes everything so, sounds so simple and, unopinionated that it's almost like it's it goes one of two ways it's almost completely easy to agree with him because he he says nothing controversial and at the same time it's completely easy to be completely annoyed with him because it's too easy and too uncontroversial or too unopinionated i guess and um Yeah, I think this is an interesting episode choice, Jack. Not a wrong episode choice, just an interesting one.
1: What is interesting to me about all these uh, efficiency experts and uh, life optimizers is that technology was supposed to make life easier and all of a sudden there's this new profession of organizer and uh, (laughs) time expert.
2: Yeah. Right, right. I know what what you're saying. Yeah, it's kind of like building an entire empire that's in, entirely full of those little tiny pieces that are supposed to make life all the better and in fact they do become cluttering in themselves i
0: think yeah i think like uh th- there are podcasts i know i know jack we're, we're both mutual fans of cortex where mike Hurley and cgp gray will have a conversation about the four different task managers they use and you're like four why do you need four <laughs> like you just write things down on a bit of paper and you can cross them off or like you have one and i get i get like having a task manager on your phone to replace the pen and paper but four different ones for like four different types of tasks yeah it's mm. funny
1: that the 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 i just saw this movie phantom thread by paul thomas oh. anderson about fashion in the 50s and couture dresses and seamstresses and the the uh, Really high-level craft, and it seems funny that you automate these things, which were actually really enjoyable. It's nice to have a single task and be really good at it, and be really good at making clothes and not have a lot of b- blinking lights telling you, "Hey, can you look at this? Can you look at that?"
3: But I think this, like, we we yeah, we talk about this all the time on the pod- on our podcast, Raf. Which is like, there's like kind of limitless, uh, or I believe there's like, and you disagree with me, Raph, that there's kind of a limit to what you know you you, at certain point at a certain age or a certain point in your career you you hit some kind of limit of productivity or some limit of potential and then there's a like there's a whole industry that comes to your rescue like an umbrella in the rain (laughs) you know you're depressed (laughs) guess what like have we got the thing for you it's like a it's a life hack or it's like a four hour work week or something that's just going to unleash that hidden tiger um and you're going to be
1: tempting to tell someone it's like yeah you're doing okay but you could do 20 percent and better yeah Yeah, there's that
3: like the best example is that book the secret Do you remember that book the secret from a few years ago it's like the one secret abraham lincoln you know like (laughs) elon musk (laughs) and oprah winfrey all share and it's in this book it's a tome for the ages
1: Yeah, i I think elon musk said something if you're reading self-help books you're not going to make it
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's too late
2: i think the thing is that i also find with this is that there's a sense of because I think you alluded to it there, but the fact of you get to the point of optimization and then what? And I think the the running implication in this podcast is the fact that you optimise the bit around the edges so you can concentrate on the bit in the middle. But I think there's almost like a Mm. dystopian sort of weird, like hellish terminus to this podcast where it's like, but you never get there. Like they never turn Mm -hmm. to focus on the thing that then you have all the time to do. And I think also as well, what I do find a bit troubling is I think there's also the implication that, that the fact that you, you kind of optimize so that you become a better person so that you can then you know be a better person around other people but then also it's tied into this theory of like don't read the news though because that's distracting and and almost disconnect and belong in this bubble and then it's like well how do you then apply yourself if you're completely divorced from a world that you're supposed to to enter into you know
1: i don't think the the, the tim Ferriss method is saying do this or do that it's just showing examples of different people so You just really have to pick the ones that appeal to you because uh, Rick Rubin is probably not going to tell you to use a task manager.
2: (laughs) I think, though, that there's the topics that he picks. I mean, I guess we'll come on to Ezra Klein later, but there are definitely sense that the topics he's picking all skirt around any, I don't know, social or political controversy or or any kind of leaning, which I think means that there's a big Mm. vacuum in the middle there. I don't know. But right. obviously, you know, I put this forward because I'm very conflicted about it. Because like I say, um, I am marginally more together
3: now as a human being and less catat- catastrophic than I was. So it has helped. But I do like what you're saying, which is like it, there is a myth. All, there's this myth that all that's preventing your success is intrinsic motivation. And what it, what's missing from that dialogue is like that there are in strict, in, extrinsic forces or deterministic kind of social forces that might be preventing... You know, like there's like there are real conversations that are preventing certain people from succeeding, right? Like, and if you just talk to like ten white guys about how they succeeded, (laughs) um, (laughs) that's like it's that's pretty horrible, right? In a way. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I just went
1: up and they gave me the money. It was great. (laughs) All I had to do was believe in myself. (laughs) You know, you just get drunk with your friends and you get rich. That's all you do.
2: Yeah. There is this, occasionally they have this thing where the guests say, just, um, you know, try and be as transparent. I think it's like, try and be as transparent as possible, but also, you know, shed your identity, which, you know, is fine if your identity (laughs) just stays there because you're famous. And it's like, you know, I'll just shed my identity and everyone else can cling on to that. But then also, I don't know, they've got a million Twitter followers as well. So that identity feels pretty cemented in that respect you know but
3: yeah i think if you're running from the police it's not so easy to like shed your <laughs> like, like don't shoot i mean there are people that are legitimately their lives you can not just shed your identity that's so absurd yeah <laughs> yeah sorry i always make things political raf hates it when i do this but <laughs> you
1: no know, i think in the, in, in this uh, perspective it's very relevant in this discussion yeah right yeah I mean, if if you're talking about it, uh, ten steps to success, and uh, and someone else has to take twenty steps, then, <laughs> yeah. or they get yeah, or the
3: one of the steps is a is like a trap and they die. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> no, not that step. Yeah. <laughs> it, or it's just like one pathway full of shit. But, but
1: it, 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 to defend uh, this philosophy of Tim Ferriss of uh, focusing on what's important and not. Uh, being a slave of uh, notifications and uh, and mm-hmm. the, the, what Ezra Klein is also there is some truth to that the computer is an attention hog and that you need to disconnect every now and then to really focus on what you want yeah I mean right that the, and it whether you you whatever background you come from that's true for everybody now because everybody uses the computer all day
3: yeah, I mean, sure. I, well, I, I was just at the grocery store talking to a pharmacist, and we had a long conversation about how she still doesn't want to use a computer. <laughs> you know, like, and I was actually really envious of her. I was, I, was, I actually stopped and I was like, I want to have a long conversation with you. <laughs> you have it figured out. I was looking at this like older pharmacist woman as a role model for a good like fifteen minutes this morning. <laughs> like, she's she's she like, I don't even read the news. You know, I don't even I, I the paper. I when I'm on a, on a website and there's those flashing. Ads and I was like, you're right. Like, why would I want to read The Times with flashing ads? I could be reading it on paper. It's way better. And she's like, yeah, I figured that out years ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <catch up. laughs> yeah, and I'm like, wow, this is Tim Ferriss. It's like an old pharmacist at the grocery store. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> sage advice. <Hers> is <laughs> so wise. <Yeah. laughs> well,
2: let's go on to our next podcast. It feels like a nice segue, actually. Um, do you guys have put
3: forward the verge cast um (laughs) tell us a bit about why you picked that podcast we picked the walmart of podcasts right (laughs) Uh,
1: it's uh, i've always been uh, i've always enjoyed consumer electronics and uh, news around it because it's optimistic Mm -hmm. most news is like look at what went wrong today and then originally especially in the early days of the computer computers really got better every year like they got from pen, from a, a three eighty six to four eighty six to a Pentium was a great progress. You could really do more. But now consumer tech is at this weird point where all the basics are covered, and they just invent worse machines. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Vergecast they're constantly conflicted where they have to show these products They're like, wow, this is really awful. Why are we spending our time on this? Yeah.
3: I think you're right, Raf. Like th- that is the one reason I listen to this podcast. So Raphael and I have been recording a podcast for about a year, and previously we would just like, you know, we were friends and we would talk about technology, and we didn't. I don't think we disclosed at first that we listened to this like. Like zealots, like every week. And like I also I take a bath and I sit in the bath and I listen to this and I like I want to savor every minute and second of it because it indulges, you know, this like this pleasure of just hearing about technology. But then I think the other great thing about the podcast is the hosts have this ambitious mission, which is like to investigate the culture of technology and how it affects society. But There's like a producer in the back or something, some editor. Well, I guess the host is the editor who's like, but we also need to deliver this nerd information (laughs) uh, (laughs) about like technical specifications. And so their anxiety and this crisis of like, we want to talk about the issues, but actually we have to talk about the specification is like that vulnerability is kind of throughout the show. And I don't, I'm not sure if other listeners see that, but I love it because like it's alive on the show in a way where like they they want to talk about chip
1: architecture but also net neutrality and also the influence on movies and
3: but they never really get the cultural part right or the sociological part right like they they're always like yeah yeah but let's move on to like how the pixel (laughs) density (laughs) (laughs) because it gets too problematic
1: it's a a very comfortable topic when you talk about specs because you won't offend anyone
3: yeah no yeah i mean but i think my argument would be like that it's interesting interesting for us as artists because we think about it the other way right we're always thinking about the cultural or social um and we have a hard time getting back to the specification (laughs) um and i I sometimes imagine that Raphael and i and i end up like like nerds would cringe at what we talk about because we don't get the technical details right like last week we were talking about blockchain and like i was (laughs) Straining to get like uh-huh. the in specifications. Our defense, nobody
1: really understands blockchain.
3: <laughs> yeah, the no. relief. Yeah, the relief factor is. No one understands, but like they always end up at the same cliche, which is like if they try and go cultural, they always end up. Is it the red pill or the blue pill? We're in the Matrix. Like yeah. hundred, you know, like nine times out of ten, that's as far as they yeah. can get. That's yeah. the but level my, of sophistication.
1: My favorite. There's this one guy. I think his name is Paul. I don't know his last name, and he has a section where he just talks about a ridiculous gadget that comes out like paul miller a a, a wi-fi enabled dog feeder or (laughs) a a doorknob or just something stupid that makes life worse
3: yeah Mm -hmm. well the other thing i think we like about it is because these so a it's also three men and then they have they have kara swisher on who's another um it's kara right good and And lauren uh, good different people yeah but but they're like it's the two editors uh Nilay Patel and Dieter Bone that are kind of like the the front men for the show and mm-hmm. only bring up that like they try and introduce diversity because they i think they recognize that their positions are potentially um biased right mm. uh but every i mean they the show is just like imperfect i guess that's what i wanted to get out there which is that like, Raphael and i really admire in our own show we we're like really bad at it <laughs> um and technology kind of projects this image of perfection and this is one of the few shows i think where the like the conversation is so messy and disorganized at times yeah, and right. total total car crash that but they're kind of self-effacing about it that i really i think that's hard to do well
1: we've gotten a million emails about me always interrupting jeremy as he's talking <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm, I'm too aggressive in my tone of the, the interrupting and dis- discussing and Neilai Patel, the the main editor, seems to also just cut off people, and Kara Swisher cuts off people. And for a few weeks, he he was on vacation, and the whole podcast became so polite and and organized <laughs> that it lost its <laughs> its flavor.
3: Yeah, yeah, the charm is in the in the mistakes, I think, and like. Yeah. Well, it's
2: interesting right, because you'll go on, Freds, because I feel like you're better placed oh, to thank you. probably That's talk about this.
0: That's <laughs> <was> very polite <laughs> of you. Um, <laughs> no, well, I, I used to I used to be a technology journalist, so I kind of I know people who work for The Verge and stuff like that. And I, I think towards the beginning they 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 did hit that balance between technology and culture really well. And I think you know that was the first two years or three years or so. And then there was a shift, and it and especially more recently they they have this like you say this real conflict, between between uh wanting to talk about culture and technology and how the two form inform each other and then the other side which is let's sell some shit by talking about specs and i think like the ces coverage is an amazing example of that because it's literally a show where all the technology creators and 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 builders and makers come together and they try and sell their shit to best buy like that's that's the whole premise of ces let's be real yeah yeah, you know, there, there were like robots that just fell over or didn't work. Like that happens every single year and and like just stuff that you don't like the robot barbecue cleaner seems to come up every year, like the thing that you stick <laughs> on top of your barbecue <laughs> and it I totally need barbecue. that I need <laughs> that for yeah. yeah. I my mean, <laughs> <where is that? laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Don't you know I mean, that the dirt on the barbecue gives it the flavor? Exactly. Uh, exactly. That's what I say, yeah. I, but, like also, like and,
0: and, and so I think like the the c e s coverage is is a brilliant example of that, where it's just like, oh man,
1: yeah, it was a beautiful y- episode, really,
0: yeah, you know you you can't cram culture into it and and you're right as well, in that it is a real car crash of a conversation where everyone talks over each other, and I think they have a tendency to try and like they almost forget that they're doing a podcast and they just kind of slip back <laughs> into this conversation where two people talking about tech specs or about their opinions and technology and they try and impress each other and then they suddenly realize that there's an audience and i've always yeah. found that really funny when there's also this interesting
1: aspect of them trying to bring culture into it and it seems anyone in any industry has this uh, lofty ambition to bring more culture And it's so often that people are like, yeah, we need to bring art to the masses, we need to get people to watch better movies and read books, and we really don't, we we say we do, but we don't really want to on a massive scale. Very few people, for example, read poetry. Hmm, But of course, if you ask anyone, do you think poetry is important, they say, yes, people should express themselves free from narrative in a short form and uh, sharpen their minds, and children should read poetry in school, but... Just asking the three of you, how much time did you spend this year reading poetry? <laughs> Very I spent little. no time reading poetry this year. <laughs> so. yeah. But if I would ask you do, you, do you think poetry should be taught in school? You would probably answer yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Of course. Yeah. So there's this, this funny, it's, it's like healthy food and gym memberships and all these things we should do but we don't really want. But I also
2: think as well, there's the fact that this podcast, I think, is something that has really nuzzled itself into the podcast format in the sense that... So I listened to this as someone who knows nothing about specs and felt like I was being dragged along by my hair for like an hour and a half. But there is a sense now (laughs) that with podcasts, you can just say like, instead of like, okay, we need to go, you know, whoever's like going slowest, we need to make sure we stop and explain stuff. They just go, okay, this is the pace that we're going at. And if you're running with us, then great. But if not, there's... plenty of other stuff you can go listen to where it's not like a frenzy kind of unabated like no ex- explanations conversation about technology because there are people out there I imagine like you guys
1: that enjoy that out of curiosity when it gets to that sort of specky language does it sort of become almost like you listen to someone with a very heavy dialect and you can't follow or, or what's it like what's the experience
2: it's a real because i really really try to listen and i think it just becomes very intense because i'm dissecting the part before where i'm like oh okay what's that thing or maybe i can kind of mm. untangle what that means and then suddenly they're talking about something else and then i'm still going snapdragon so what's all that about and they've like pinged ahead to like you know something else completely and what i think really brought it home was there was a moment where a like comedian walked in and started talking about his career, and suddenly the specs all drained away for b- about a minute. And I was like, yeah, "Oh wow!" was like,
1: "Fuck these gadgets!" <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, they were talking about tech, and it's like so. Anyway, about stand-up comedy and 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 just kind of really brought it. off course, but the conversation slowed down. There was like one voice. I guess they were like, "Oh, now this guy knows what he's talking about, and we don't." Well,
1: I think the comedian it was very successful, so it was also a bit like, "Yeah, I'm making tons of money, and gadgets are for losers." <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. well, but that's also the great irony of the show in general, right, which is that like th- to create a great product because I work in product design you, it's a, it's about ninety percent of it is just understanding humans and about ten percent of it is like sourcing the technology to help them and and but they spend ninety percent of time talking about technology, and then ten percent being like what's going to what's the impact of this technology <laughs> right. going to be on humans <laughs> um, and so you know i i it, there's one podcast that does the opposite of that that i didn't talk about it we didn't precede but it's called still processing it's by the new york times with um, Mm. it has jenna wortham and wesley morris and they're that's a their culture and technology writers but they look at it through a pop culture lens to start so they just start with like let's talk about the comedian uh and then let's talk about how that comedian is synthesizing news about technology or a current Ah. uh the current state of technology and I find that that, you know, it's kind of the opposite of the Vergecast, but that's really what the Vergecast aims to achieve. But I think the, the hosts are, are really so nerdy, that indulgence, the same reason I listen to it and feel guilty about it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is what it prevents them from actually creating like something that a lot of people would, re- I mean, a lot of people really do like it, but prevents it from being like, you know, universally, like not just like nerd kind of talk, you
0: know? Mm. Right. I'm
3: into that. It's like though. they can't be David Letterman. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: I, I'm entirely into that. I think I, what I really do is uh, appreciate this kind of conversation. I mean, we've had a few people who come and uh, put forward podcasts where there's uh, almost an entire language contained within a particular subject. So what was it? Eight, four, play. One of our first guests brought, Right. oh, what's that process called where they um, translate games ready? I can't remember the name of it, but um, basically they yeah. had all of their own language in talking about um, gaming. And in fact, it's probably a lot of the same mm. language here. There's a lot of crossover, but uh it, it filled me with they, i think there's a real joy in hearing people just completely unrestrained and almost uh, unaware of the mm-hmm. microphones just letting loose in conversation because i don't think there's a format that really allowed that prior to that and that's actually yeah. really exciting i have a question
1: <laughs> for for the two of you for freddie and jack because you're such a, mm. a podcast um, you, you have a very broad grasp of podcasts but do you find that even though there are podcasts for many niches it's still mostly nerds who listen to podcasts.
0: Yeah, I think so because I think by definition, if you're, if you, you you've got to, you've got to be stupidly into something to uh, want to want to dedicate enough time listening to it or dedicate enough time making a podcast out of it. I mean,
1: I, I have a theory that uh, open source formats like email or RSS or podcast feel like a chore to most people and are a joy to nerds.
2: I find it interesting because we had my dad on and he's just got into podcasts and he's kind of like I think it's a thing where you step through the door and then you're like oh that was actually quite easy and now I can listen to all this stuff <laughs> and now he's just he mm. can't believe and he's you're constantly saying to me I can't believe more people aren't listening to this and I'm telling all my friends to listen to it but I think people yeah. who hear the word pod and cast together just think I don't know what either of those really mean and I yeah, that sounds very complicated.
1: Intimidating? Yeah, yeah exactly but it statistically it, that it's really fun but
3: podcasting is the fastest growing form of media on the planet just like to not i'm not like a podcast promoter or anything but i, <laughs> I do know because like the company the company i work for we we've been po- like buying podcast advertising for years it's like the cheapest thing that's growing the fastest it's, <laughs> like also just interesting it that it's, it's
1: hard to avoid podcast ads like if you're driving and you would have to skip to a certain point that you don't do that whereas a, I think ads on a web page—you can get an ad blocker, or your eyes don't even see them. Yeah, but, but then the other
3: irony is, it's like a 1950s advertisement. That's why, like when you say your dad, like I think of podcasting is very similar to like you know what it would have been like to watch TV in 1957 or something, you know, or to listen to the radio. And this episode yeah. brought to you by Wonder Pepsi. Soap,
0: right? You know,
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: I guess I guess the thing about podcasting is that most people who don't know podcasts at all. Think that the barrier to entry is really high, but actually the barrier to entry is incredibly low. Like, yeah, I mean, free. you can you can you can produce a really shitty sounding podcast really really easy, and it mm-hmm. will still pass, and it would still get on iTunes, and it would still <laughs> probably have listeners. Um, and yeah, like you say, it's free, and it, it, people. I think the more people that realise that they really don't need to do a lot in order to make a podcast, the, mm-hmm. the more podcasts there are going to be. And I think we are that's kind of happening right now. Which yeah, I think it's, is a it's good a thing. weird
1: stealth medium where it. Uh, there's no hype around it like vr is good. everybody's like it's going to be the next big thing and everybody's waiting for it and yeah. podcast without any hype it just slowly gets becomes part of people's lives
2: well and also though i i think the way that it does that is by the problem is is that the reason people get into podcasts is or they hear about them is if they listen to a radio show and they're like you can download the podcast so i think a lot of people have Mm. this impression that oh it's radio that you can just download and have in your pocket and you know if you get a big podcast like s town everyone who listens to podcasts hears about it and is really talking about it all over but if i go into work no one knows what I'm talking about, and there's this completely two different universes. So I'd be really intrigued to see the moment where a podcast can be big and Proliferate in the same way
3: that you know a new Netflix show
2: would do. Because when's that gonna come?
3: This just makes me sound like because I I grew up in independent like video and film, and it sounds like I in like 2004 I would have the same conversations like, oh man, if we just get this indie theater in the right neighborhood, (laughs) these people they're just gonna like flood through the doors. Their minds are gonna be blown when we they see that like the ideas that we're sharing are just like so much richer. their lives would be so much better if only they could see it like we sound a little desperate
1: (laughs) yeah but it's also great to be obscure yeah well yeah there's
3: like there's like a certain beauty in obscurity i think that's what raf and i have often talked about like do we really need it to everyone in or you know like there's a there's this concept of like the people that are there are all really high quality people that we want to hang out with Hmm. um and if you don't, if you, I mean, I hate, I hate this idea that we need to guilt people. We always talk about on our podcast. We don't want to guilt you into listening. If you don't like it, please
0: stop listening. Uh. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Go help
0: someone. It kind of feels to me like Twitter was when Twitter was a thing where you could effectively use it to broadcast SMS messages to your friends. Like it feels like, mm. you know, you have to be a little bit nerdy to know about it and then you get on board with it. And I, I really hope we don't pass that kind of era. Uh, with podcasts, where like you say, like right now, the the people that listen to podcasts, the people that make podcasts, are, 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 are the kind of the, the nice people, and
1: and you know, well, I think with a lot of extremist podcasts that are not so nice people, so I I wouldn't think the whole medium <laughs> podcast is still wait wait
3: people. wait wait what are these extremist podcasts I want to know
1: about I don't know about them but they must exist yeah yeah oh
3: they must exist I see I see yeah. Mm. oh yeah this I'm... might this maybe this is one of them I don't even know I, I, I'm
1: just, I'm just <laughs> you uh, it on your research. When, when people take a medium and say well this medium will generate lots of happy uh, respectful people I think hmm let's see <laughs> oh
0: yeah no I mean like it's it's the thing where like yeah Twitter when it started out as that kind of SMS broadcast platform was great and there was a small group of people using it and it was lovely and and now it's become this kind of monster where yeah it's it's you know full of shit basically and <laughs> you know it's still great for certain things but you know uh, overall it, it's it's in a far worse place than it ever was and if it feels like the fr- are we like the first podcast bullies is that what you're trying to say like, <laughs> well, like maybe maybe this is it the- yeah maybe cause <laughs> we're, the we're, the ones that, we're the ones that start being critical um we, well we try and we try this and is, maybe this
1: is a good segue into the third podcast
0: Right, yeah, and on that on that note about social media being full of shit, Ezra Klein and, and Cal Newport chatting uh, is you know one of one of my favorite episodes of the Ezra Klein show. I deliberately chose one that was very anti political, just because I feel like they're more topical, and this one's a bit more uh, ephemeral in a sense. Hmm. But Ezra Klein has these amazing interviews with people and um, he he goes pretty deep with people and I think this is one of my favourites because he clearly really likes Cal Newport and he's clearly very on board with what Cal Newport thinks and does and, you know, has obviously taken a lot of his advice and I like the fact that Cal Newport has this very um, all-or-nothing approach to the internet and social media, it's particularly social media where he just doesn't believe in it and doesn't believe that anyone needs it, um, which I think is is a, a questionable argument but I also more and more often agree with that Um, he
1: he definitely points out that there's a trade-off that you you could do social media but there's no way of dipping your toes and doing it every now and then because it's designed to be addictive so once you step into it it's going to take away a lot of your brain power
0: yeah, and mm. I, I think his his whole thing about deep work and the idea of which I wasn't his idea, but he kind of popularised it in the book about attention residue, where you know as soon as you you know switch tasks or start on social media, your attention starts to go in it, and it will stay with whatever that thing is, even though you've moved away from it. And I think you know it's incredibly good at doing that.
1: Yeah, one of the things I, his points I thought was great is that deep work is by definition miserable. Yes. If you're not miserable, it's not deep work.
0: Mm. Yeah, so for sure.
1: So I have this thing where I'll, I'll sit down and I want to try to come up with new ideas. So I'll just have a blank sketchbook in front of me. And then, of course, there's no idea. And you wait for 10 minutes and there's still no idea. It's really awful. And it's really tempting to then go like, hey, let's see if there's something new on YouTube.
0: Yeah, mm. right.
3: I, th- I think of it more like cold water. Like, you know, you don't <laughs> want to jump in because you've been, you know, you know, that first the first 10 minutes is really painful. Um, but then beca- and because you're overcoming the distra- the, the distractions and, and things like social media. And then, but then once you're fully in, like time melts away. You know, we all know about flow. Right. And to get into flow requires no, that you kind of I,
1: I, I think you're seeing it too positive. Like he's really saying yeah it, it, it the the water is so cold and it doesn't get warmer and maybe never gets warm maybe when you're on the other side of the lake you're still cold but at least you got to the other side of the lake but yeah. it was it was really terrible the whole journey mm. there's, there's this myth I, I think there's this myth i hear a lot from people like oh creative life must be so fun and it, there's this myth of sort of instagram photos of a, a table full of crayons and some coffee and a cookie and it's like oh you're just having a great time and it, if you ask most artists that trying to find the the thing you're looking for is really miserable
0: hmm right I mean even from like you know I'm a advertising copywriter by day which is which is good but you know even then you, you spend you know your first 20 minutes of a of a brief is just staring blankly at uh, an empty screen or an empty page going what the fuck am I going to put on this and and yeah it's it's it is difficult and it, and it and it can feel a bit grim and you know it's great when you get to the other side of it and you've produced something of kind of worth or note and that's that's great but yeah you're right it's 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 a struggle and I think it is good that he doesn't pretend that it's otherwise yeah. it doesn't kind of cultivate that I, myth I think that doing very, any creative endeavor yeah. is hard.
1: That's yeah. that's the 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 difficult thing with a lot of self-help stuff is that they promise that you'll be happy but maybe happiness is not really what you're looking for
0: no
2: right right i think as well there's a sense with this as as well that slowly that misery will kind of ebb away because i guess a lot of that misery is driven by the fact that your brain is sort of wired in a way which is pushing against this new thing you're trying to bring into it right
1: maybe my argument is that uh creativity stems from not being content otherwise why would you create anything so this this idea that creativity creates happiness is is I think happiness is sitting down with people you love and having a coffee and laughing. That's happiness. But like Thomas Edison trying to invent the light bulb and failing ten thousand times. That's that's not happy. That's not chill.
3: Well, they have this expression like in product design, which is supposed to fall in love with the problem. That's what they always say. I, I kind of disagree with you all though because I. I mean, Raf and I have talked about this quite a bit, but I get a tremendous amount of joy from working collaboratively with other artists um and it's only when i'm alone working that i feel this way but when i like i yeah over but the last i think the, days, the, been...
1: the notion of that podcast was about working by yourself it wasn't about...
3: no i i know no and you're right but that's i just want to offer a counter position which is like sometimes when you're working with others or you're a part of a movement you know whether it's a social movement or a creative movement like at different times i've been involved with collectives or different uh, creative movements it can feel like you're swept up in it and I, I don't know on a few occasions at least in my life and even just this week I was working with some people here in Chicago like time just melted away like I sat down with them and then four hours later I looked up and I was like whoa where did the time go like that was so that was so incredible when two people are exchanging ideas and I, I, I mean I, I get it the, I, but I think it's just as big a cliche to say that being a creative is painful as it is to well, say
1: but I, I think what he's trying to say is that people say oh these distractions are making me unhappy so if I take the distractions way i'll be in this bliss state and it'll be in yeah. flow like a, a seamstress just seem uh, no, no
3: it's not that easy i yeah. agree, I agree. Yeah.
1: And, and you should not expect that if once you have everything streamlined that then you're just in constant flow
3: no you need a purpose behind
2: it there's a there's a i, I guess then though that at least there's a nourishment to the pain that you're going through because it is at least driving forward in a particular direction where it then transits from becoming this thing where actually that pain or frustration is is the fact that you know you're constantly being distracted and want to be pulled away and then as soon as you kind of lock in on what you want to do yes like you say with Edison and the light bulb with all those failed iterations i i guess at least it's all driving towards the light bulb right uh at the at the end of it I mean I find your point about And working with other artists, interesting. And I I do wonder about the application of this to art as well, because I guess it depends whether you're working on a project that has a kind of like fixed point at the end of it that you're driving for. Mm -hmm. If there's kind of room for sway and room for someone to be like, oh, what about we go this direction, which I guess is less applicable to business, then... Mm-hmm. This can sometimes
1: maybe feel a little less applicable. Do you think deep work or that topic applies to teams?
3: Well, there's this like principle in uh, from design thinking of like, uh, and it, it looks very similar to, like, Gartner's hype cycle that I'm sure, or maybe you're not familiar with, where it's just like, every project starts at, like, with this hu- at the height of potential and excitement, right? Like, you're kicking it off! And then slowly, it's actually not exactly, like, a hype cycle, but then the, the dec- there's a de- rapid decline uh, whereas like, you realize the task at hand is, like, more than you can do on your own um, and maybe, you know, beyond your capability and knowledge and expertise. And then as you sort of start to figure things out, the curve slowly starts to turn around and then you swing back up, right? And you start to realize that the potential, it might be, you might've learned enough to make to reach a new plateau. And then you like kind of, you get, you get up to that plateau and you reach this new euphoria or new land. Um, and different people use different processes, I think, to go through this like up and down. I just don't think it's as simple as it's painful, it's beautiful. It's quite often all of those things and it's just a journey that you're on from the beginning yeah. a project to the end
1: I, I i think i agree i'm not trying to say creativity is always but i do agree with him that the whole topic is about the difference between multitasking and going really deep and focused on one task and mm-hmm. i i think uh, one of the interesting points that he makes is that the digitalization or computerization on the back end of business It created tremendous efficiency and a lot of profit. So uh, to make airlines uh, all the scheduling to automate that, that made it better. But to add email and Slack and all these things to an office has not proven to make offices more productive because they're so distracting.
3: Yeah, Yeah, it's true. There was even a study a couple of weeks ago that said when you switch tasks, you know, we all talk about multitasking, you actually go blind for a brief second, um, which is why it's super dangerous to look at your phone in a car. Like your brain, there's a switching cost that, and we're not conscious of being blind in that switch, but for for like a micro moment, you're actually physically blind. Wow. I wonder if that's specific, what's (laughs) that specific
2: to? Like, I guess, other screens as well? Because I have one of those, you know, if you've got a sat nav in the car.
3: You know, you're going blind
2: every time. It's when switching
3: contexts. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. Every time you switch contexts and switch tasks, you go blind momentarily. But,
1: maybe what I'm trying to say is that, okay, it's, I'm not trying to say creativity is pure pain, but there's a pain to boredom. So if you turn off, I don't know if you guys try, but when you turn off your phone, you turn off all the distractions, it's a very uneasy feeling in the beginning.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I can't stand in a queue or wait for anything without being on my phone because I feel like if I'm not then what am I doing apart from waiting well, for whatever th- that's it is I one need to wait thing for. When
1: you're, when you're in a queue because you're not uh, trying to write a book but if you really uh, there's an episode of Seinfeld where George and uh, Jerry sit down to write the first pilot of their show and they're constantly just thinking, uh, should we make some popcorn? Uh, oh, there's someone at the door. They just don't want to write.
3: <laughs> yeah. But it's like, that's why the two biggest products last year were both technology products with zero technology. They're like the fidget spinner and the fidget cube. Both were products designed for you to just like touch, like click buttons and spin things like to distract you. <laughs> like the opposite might there's, be true. It, which I is mean, like
1: yeah, no matter what we say, there is a problem. There really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean I was going to say actually just to bring it back to the podcast I I like Ezra as a host as well during this because he does Mm -hmm. start by saying that he's really into what Cal's doing and sometimes that can just turn into uh well he has an interesting
1: problem that he's a journalist so he has to be his antenna has to always be on his twitter has to always be he has to know everything at any time that's his his trade but at the same time, he has to write.
2: What was the, when he, uh, Cal offered that almost alternate vision of Vox and how it could work, I thought that was really interesting as well, kind of doing an analogy to computer networks and saying, OK, you have all these younglings whose entire job is to basically plunge headfirst into Twitter and to yeah, be basically distracted. He said, into...
1: he said give, give uh, social media hell to interns so you can work.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah, and so you but have this divide. He gave
1: an interesting comparison that uh, you don't let the CPU of a computer uh, search for Wi-Fi networks all the time. You, you yeah. let the, the Wi-Fi card do that. We've, you, you don't allocate your main brain power to looking around.
2: Yeah. Which I I thought was really interesting because actually when Ezra said that the first time about the fact, well, I do need to be plugged in. And I thought he'd kind of come up with something which was going to be difficult to navigate around. But what I do like actually about what Ezra does in that context is he does frame his questions quite a lot. And he says, okay, this is where I'm coming from. And he gives like this really Mm -hmm. nice surrounding context where he says, this is how I'm seeing the problem. And, And then when he delivers that question, which itself is quite direct leads in all these different directions because the person is not only answering it, but also kind of handling the context he's put it in as well, which I, I think is really n- nice to listen to and I think a really effective interview technique as well.
1: Well, I, I can just speak from experience that I, I know 100% for sure that my best ideas come out of boredom, but I also know that instinctively I try to fill my day with stuff to do because boredom is kind of painful. So mm. it, it, sometimes I'll just... I'll just sit and think and immediately have an idea if I just close off everything. But it's really hard to do because it's like, oh, there's something fun on YouTube. Or maybe let's see if there's a discount on the online shopping. And, oh, let's look at my to-do list. And it's it's really thrilling to have these constant micro tasks that go, okay, I did something. I did something. I did something. Yeah. I, I don't know if you guys recognize that
0: oh yeah totally i I, i'll I'll add stuff that i've done to like my to-do list just so i can cross it (laughs) off just so it feels better um which is a really dumb stupid thing to do because it's done it's in the past like who cares but there's definitely more satisfaction from having done something even if it's not entirely relevant to what you're aiming to do um versus not doing the thing you're aiming to do because you're having to think about it or wait for the for the the kind of the idea to come along or anything like that
1: then there's the funny thing in art that whatever is the worst thing you can make work out of. So you can just become the procrastination artist and just make a performance of procrastination.
3: Mm, that's maybe my career. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, this has been great, guys. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having us.
2: We've gone all over here. This has been great. Um, if people want to check out your podcast, whereabouts they should, be, should they be headed to do that?
3: It's uh, goodpointpodcast.com, and then there's links to, like, you know, your favorite place to download it.
1: And there is merchandising available on (laughs) goodpointpodcast.com. We have T-shirts, crop tops, and mugs.
3: Nice.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us, and to everyone listening, goodbye.
0: We'll see you next time. Yeah, cheers. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Okay. Bye. Bye. (laughs)
2: Hi, it's Jack again. Thank you so much for listening to Episode Party. If you've been enjoying the show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. It would mean a lot. Thank you so much. Goodbye.